love is what builds a leader. You know what I mean? Because you I gen- love the people. Yeah, I, I genuinely love all my Wu Tang brothers. Welcome to Torre Show, where I talk to incredible people about success. I want to know why did you make it? What are your superpowers? How did you deal with failure? What tactics and talents and attitudes made the difference for them? From all that, maybe you can get a little more fuel for your journey to success. This week's guest is one of the most successful men in hip-hop history, the RZA, the leader and founder of the mighty Wu-Tang Clan, which some think of as the greatest group in hip-hop history. The RZA came from nothing, and now he's a legendary producer, a great rapper, a Hollywood actor. I was dying to know how the RZA did it and what mindsets got him there. I've known him a while, and we always have a great vibe, so we were able to get really deep about his life. He talks about going through a trial for attempted murder when he was 19 and how he changed after that. My mother looked me in my eye and gave me that mother deep piercing look and said, boy, this is your second chance. You know, her eyes was watery. She told me, don't mess this up. And you know what? I refused to let her down again. He talked about leading the woo. No general is a general if he's not willing to fight. And, you know, a general who sits up and just send people to war or send the missiles, you know, that's one way. But the ones that got the most strength throughout history, you know, and even Alexander the Great, who was one of the first conquerors we read about, he was in the, on the battlefield with that, yo. He char- he's charging with the army. And I'm the type of guy that charges with my army as well. And, of course, we talked about chess. Bobby Fischer, his, his attacking prowess was incredible. But when you go back and study some of those games, you see that there was flaws in them. So how was he able to win with a flaw in his movement? Because his determination was stronger. His will to win was stronger than the better opponent in some case. You know what I mean? And and so therefore, the energy of the person can sway the energy of the pieces. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. The RZA has amassed a lot of wisdom, and I learned a lot talking to him. He refocused me, and I hope this conversation helps you get a little inspiration to help propel your future. Just take me back to growing up and how you learned how to make music. Well, I'm not um, trained, you know, I wasn't classically trained in music as far as class and going to school and things of that nature. I grew up in the hip-hop era where our turntables became my instruments and uh, a four-track machine. I mean, I go back that far, you know what I mean? And we would just loop parts of the songs. A DJ would, you know, break it, you know, find that break beat in the song and just scratch it back and forth. And, you know, you make tapes that way. Uh, when they developed the sampler, the digital sampler, which is an instrument, but hasn't really been accepted as an instrument to me in right. the industry in a sense, because it's made the sample, Right. So anyway, I used it to sample sample parts of songs that I liked, and I would mesh those things together before they was called uh, mashups. <laughs> and and you know, I, for me, it was all about the sound of something. It was all about what the sound invoked. How so, old are you when you're starting these experiments? Um, I'm DJing as early as eleven, and um, but I've been but I've been writing lyrics since nine years old. But when I got a hold of a, a turntable and a mixer, that led me to continuously have a, like a geek out for electronic equipment. So I sold newspapers on the Verrazano Bridge. We make probably about 15 bucks a day. You know what I mean? 
end of the week. You know, may have 90 bucks uh, on the weekends. ODB would join me. Uh, certain members of the Wu spent their time on there. My boy Power. From, when, you, uh, uh, when you spoke to Dirty at that time, what did you call him? What was his name then? Oh, at that time, uh, his name was Rusty. Rusty, right? Because his name was Russell. Yeah, everybody right, so, call him Rusty. Okay. You know what I mean? So you and Rusty on the Verrazano Bridge selling yep. papers. That's yep. what's up. And um, Hustling. Hustling. You know, my brother Devine was there as well. I mean, it's one of the things that, no disrespect, even my mom's got out there some days because that was the hustle. That was the, the way to feed the family. Well, did you, you didn't only have, or did you only have legal hustles or did you also have illegal hustles? I didn't get I didn't get into illegal hustles until you know late teenage years you know something that uh, you know I guess it's known now that everything is known about people but my my older brother Divine you know he kind of moved with that crowd and uh, he had gotten deeply involved with the street hustle and then he got locked up for it and uh, um, left me in the streets you know by this time you know probably 19 years old now uh, music wasn't going right. And decided to pick up where he left off at for a little bit. And street hustling to me wasn't wasn't my calling. Okay. But being a, a a guy that had uh, always had what others would say, they called me the abbot because I have a leadership type of mentality. So I was always able to get a group of people together for a common cause and to go. Well, I'm curious about that because there's a lot of dudes, not a lot, but there are several dudes who are great producers. But what separates you, I think, from all of them is you also have that leadership thing that you talked about. You you form, you know, all these men into a crew and they moved like Voltron, like one. And that made Wu-Tang so powerful from day one. So just talk about the development of the ability to lead men in you. Like, where did that come from? Well, I think... First thing you got to have is a common denominator with the people you are leading. Forced leadership doesn't work. So I wasn't f- like, I didn't force or impose myself like, yo, I'm the boss. I'm the leader. No, it was, uh, it was actually recognized that, you know, amongst my team, this is the man. This is the smartest dude right here. This is the dude that he's never broke his word. He would walk 10 miles to come get something for you. When a fight broke out, he never ran. If he saw you in another neighborhood and he was there and you had beef with the other dudes, he he would join you in your beef. You know, the qualities of honor, I think, is in, was in me. It's in me. Uh, and I think my brothers saw that. And as well as, you know, being uh, um, I'm, all, I'm all also very hip. Like, I'm a type of dude, whether it's from reading, from traveling to the Bronx, Long Island. Like, I traveled all over, uh, you know, New York, Philly, Tri-State area, even in my teens. I just was one of those dudes. I'd get on the Long Island Expressway and go to Henryville and spend three days out there because I had a cousin or a girl out there. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll go down south and spend the summer with cousins and family. So all that traveling, which I think is important for any man, especially if you coming from the hood, you got to travel. You got to see more. And so from the things I saw, then you bring it back home, that experience, I think, allowed my other brothers, who are also leaders. One thing I like to admit and point out is that my crew, the Wu-Tang, which I came in the game with, was all, like, cool top dudes in their circle. It's just that, it's just that I was the common denominator of all of them. And each one of them would agree that, yo, 
I'm one of this, but that's my man right here. This this dude is the one. And and you established that just the way you were, just just the daily interaction. And again, you said not sort of saying, okay, I'm the leader, I'm gonna, but just the daily interactions with each of these men established a sense of like he's honorable, he's responsible, he's down for me, I can trust him. Yep. He's smart, right? Not trying to let people think I should be the leader, but just yeah. One thing I being think, good to people. Yeah, the best leadership quality, you know, is a person who's been through it, you know, a person who lived it, who understands it, and therefore, it's like, why would you have a somebody in your corner in a boxing fight if 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 the guy in the corner is not a boxer? How can the, how can you know? How can you trust uh, someone to? take you somewhere if they haven't been there and i think that quality uh was recognized we have a we have a slogan we say uh is that everybody is good but it's always one amongst you who is the best noah and we used to use that term because noah noah yeah and even you could say noah from the bible like noah in his time when there was the great flood noah was the dude that knew listen guys it's gonna rain <laughs> and some people thought he was crazy. Some people, you know, they said Noah preached for hundreds of years and people wasn't trying to catch up to him. But those who did catch up to him, though, those who did bear witness to his words, according to the story, they was allowed to get inside that ark and travel on to a better world, better life. I mean, you know, the let's talk about the man of leading the woo in particular, because these are alpha men, mm-hmm. street men. You know, I mean... I mean, I always wonder, you know, if you have like a, not that you guys are a criminal syndicate, but if you have a criminal syndicate, how do you stay on top of that? Because, you know, all the guys are tough and smart and trying to get on top. All the brothers in the Wu were smart and tough, could have been solo, what have you. So, alpha. But, so, so, but, but Tori, even in, that, even in that arena of alphas, right, let's just use, let's use the Godfather and you know Tony Montana, those characters who was very prevalent in our cinema growing up. And if you look at, you know, Michael Corleone, you know he was a, a great leader. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what made him a leader? He had military training, even though his father didn't want him to enter that arena. And when the time came that it was nobody else to perform a certain job, he went and did that, which was shooting down the the cop. And the criminal. Right. Which is, you don't do that. And here goes a guy that does it. And when he becomes the leader of that family, they know that, yo, this guy is a guy that will do it. You know, he's smart. uh, He's focused. But at the same time, he's willing to be a soldier when necessary. No general is a general if he's not willing to fight. And, you know, a general who sits up and just send people to war or send the missiles, you know, that's one way. But the ones that got the most strength throughout history, you know, and even Alexander the Great, who was one of the first conquerors we read about, he was in the, on the battlefield with that, yo. He char- he's charging with the army. And I'm the type of guy that charges with my army as well. You know what I mean? And I think that kind of respect, uh, you know, you look at the Wu, for instance, we all came in, lyric, lyrical MCs, you know, I'm a lyricist as well. It wasn't like I was a slouch, you know what I mean? No doubt. Um, it was more like, yo, He's dangerous. I'm dangerous. He was as dangerous on the mic. I think you are the best producer MC well, ever. I respect that. Thank you. But when you look at my peers, it's like, oh, you know, they, they know that if they're not there, the base is covered. But at the same time, I don't have to MC. I could, 
leave that quality to them, which you'll notice in the earlier music that was left to them, and I was able to produce and bring out the best in them. Or at the same time, I'm able to walk in because I'm a, I'm a studious man. And I think studious is something that we can't, we got to get back to, uh, you know, in our community. And I mean our community. I mean the whole American community. Uh, you know, put that time into studying a craft uh, because the, the input we put in is going to bring out the output. It's going to actually multiply the output. I saw a book once called um, Leaders Eat Last. And, you know, I know, like, when I was in situations with, like, you know, a group of people who may or may not want to accept my leadership, if I make a direction and I put myself last in line, like, I'll eat last, y'all eat first, or you go ahead of me, then people are more likely to accept. Is that something that you dealt with, too? Yeah, that's a, that's actually a very smart uh, quote and a, probably a great book, but that's true. I mean, it's like, the, it's like your parents. You know, I watch my mother many days not eat so that the children could eat. And maybe that's part of my personality as well. You know, coming up with a single mother for most of my life. Um, I, you know, my pops had left us and my step-pops was locked up. So my mother had many single years with a house full of kids. And it was days when it was like, yo, she gave me that piece of chicken so that, you know, so I could be full. And she just went, didn't eat. I, I, I rarely saw my mom's eat, you know what I mean? Wow. Um, and uh, so a leader should have that quality. Marcus Garvey, uh I think one of the greatest leaders for the black community, one of the first ones to inspire us to recognize our noble adequacy, uh, our uprightness of manlyhood, you know what I mean, to come out of our, uh, you know, our downtrodden personalities we have accumulated over the hundreds of years of being removed from our culture. He was a man, according to historians, that... He would also eat last, and when he ate, he ate a simple bowl of rice and a simple piece of meat. Like, he had a very simple diet. He lived in a simple apartment, even though he was controlling millions of dollars. So he, didn't, he, so he wasn't doing it for the economical reasons. He was doing it because he, he, he led by example, and he, he didn't have that self-greed. I think when you don't have self-greed, that mm. makes a strong leader as well. Mm. Self-greed allows you to be a leader. Self, not having self-greed. Right, right. Not having self-greed allows yeah. you to be a leader. So um, part of what we talk about on the show is, you know, when people were in difficult moments of their lives and how they dealt with it, how they exploded out of it. And you had a difficult moment. You had an attempted murder charge as a young man, didn't know if you were which way the jury was going to go. And when the jury said not guilty, you know. You were very happy. Your mom was very Super happy. happy. <laughs> and your mom said, okay, now you have a second chance at life. Yes. So talk about being in that low, stressful, difficult moment. And then what you did and what you said to yourself to say, okay, I'm going to take this low moment and try to explode upward from here. Well, the first thing uh, is I, I, could, I could explain it so many different ways. But let me give you something that the Holy Quran teaches us. It says one of man's biggest sin is heedlessness. He doesn't take heed. He don't see the signs around him. And my mother, who I love and respect, you know, when the first time she found the gun in my house, she got a one of those hammers with the axe on the other side of it and chopped it up and 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 basically kicked me out. I was 16, I was 15 going on 16 years old. And it actually broke my heart because I never wanted to disappoint my mother. Uh, 
And I think most of us don't want to disappoint our moms. So I was really hurt that she looked at me as something that was not what she had brought into this world. And I ended up rekindling that flame over a few years of, uh, of, of, of trying to be a good son. But, of course, the streets kept calling. You know what I mean? And I kept finding myself back and forth in these situations. And when I finally got the, the worst situation, which was this, this trial where I was facing you know, eight years of my life to go in, three years mandatory because of the gun spec, and, uh, and I had got a, a girl pregnant at the same time, I, I, I knew that I was... There's I, I, a lot going on. I messed up, kid. If I, could, I could curse. Yeah. Oh yeah. I fucked up. <laughs> All right? I was I fucked up and 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 I was blessed, you know, with with a good lawyer. My family pulled together for me. My sister took her life savings and bailed me out and wow. put the money up for the lawyer. And we was able to win that case, you know. I definitely stopped getting high. I left drugs alone. Didn't smoke weed, didn't drink. Uh You made a pledge to yourself like, okay, I, now I have to change. Yeah. I knew that I was I was gone, I was zonked out. One thing we don't recognize, I want to say this to young people that, that listen to your, to your podcast, is that we don't recognize the, the alteration of our, our ideas that's caused by drugs. Mm. Whether it's weed, alcohol, or ecstasy, molly, whatever they're taking these days, they're popping all kinds of pills. Now. We don't recognize that the, the decisions you make in that state feel very logical in that state, but mm. may not in the long term be the proper equation or the proper answer. Mm-hmm. So, so I was always, you know, smoking and drinking and and chasing sex and all those things, which you know what you do, you're young, right? Right. But I definitely was blessed with a chance to sober up. I found myself in the law library, reading and studying my own situation. When I sat there, I was only locked in the jail for like 35 days before my sister, uh, you know was compassionate enough to, to give me her life savings to bail me out. That was not an easy thing for her, you know. She probably would work like seven years to save up 10 grand. That's how tough it was in those days, right? Wow. But she did it. And uh, in those, in those, in that cell, I had a, a lot of time to think, yo. You know, and it's like some guys, they take them two years to think. And, you know, right. Leave me in there for 30 days is all I need to be in jail. One day. Right. I don't need to be in jail right. no, 10 years trying to figure it out and come back and go back. Right. I don't need that lesson. <laughs> I was able to understand the foolishness of myself, to accept my own foolishness, even though I may have felt the day I did it, I felt the aggression, I felt the energy, I felt the defense. I had to, you know, I had to self-defend myself. But there's other ways to self-defend yourself. Uh, you know, Bruce Lee, one of the greatest martial artists of all time, one of the greatest fighters he said the first thing he do is run. <laughs> no, nobody wants to run. Oh, you no, go ahead and run, kid. Let the anger wear down. But anyway, <laughs> I went through it, and I was. Uh, what were you think when you were in the cell, thinking, talking to yourself? I mean, I'm fascinated that you know you're at this very low moment, lots of stress, lots going on, and in retrospect, you used this moment and all that was going wrong to propel you upwards. So, how did? What did you think about? And make the be, to be able to make the decisions that well, propelled you up. Well, two things, Tori. One is I didn't see myself as a criminal. I didn't see myself as a guy who belonged there. That's the first thing I gotta share with you. And the second thing is, is I always felt in my heart that I was destined for greatness, but I but I had to be myself. I took a time and I did this. 
I did this a few times in my life. Even recently, I had to do this a couple of years ago. Just, you know, but we'll talk about that another time. But I have to remember the kid that I was. I had to take a look at who was this nine-year-old kid who never had a drink, never smoked a joint, never had sex, right? Good dude, good kid that goes to store for grandma, that cleans, the, sweeps the floor, that's, that's, you know, hi, Mr. Johnson, hi, Mr. Jack. You know, who, where's that kid at? What buried that kid? Yes, mama, no, ma'am, no, sir. What buried that kid? And I went back to talk to that kid. You know what I mean? And I do that now, and that's like a, I make sure I try to get back to that kid. Back to that nine-year-old. Yeah, that kid with that smile, then when you see that smile, oh, let him in. You love that kid. Why? Because he's pure still. It's the purity that we lose over time, uh, whether it's our environment, whether it's your food. If we eat monosodium glutamate, polysorbate, uh, calcium phosphate, monoglyceride, sodium nitrates, you put all those molecular poisons in your body, you're already changing. Then you throw some cannabis, some THC in that, you know what I mean? You want to throw in some, some cocaine and <laughs> some, alcohol. some alcohol in that, you, you, you're, you're changing yourself. So I was able to look back on myself. But the beautifulest thing for me, you know, when I got out was my mother looked me in my eye and gave me that mother deep piercing look and said, boy, this is your second chance. You know, and her eyes was watery. She told me, don't mess this up. And you know what? I refused to let her down again. And I didn't mess it up. And uh, It was and, that direction from mom that really, like, because you were already – Working toward that? I was working towards it, but she gave, like, the winner, you know, I think a man um, should always strive in the cause of love. You know, Jesus, Jesus is a great man who gave it to us best. You know, he told us that love was the way. Love is the power, right? And and if you can't love nothing, he tells you love God. You know what I mean? Um so the love of something is a very driving force. Even to take a teenager who's in love with a girl that would, you know, go to a mile, travel miles to see her. Or, you know, the, 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 the military guy who's in love with his wife that can't wait to, to get home from the battlefield to get home to his wife. You know, Helen of Troy caused the whole army to, to make a move because of the love her husband had for this love power. The love of my mother to have her proud of me. And 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 also knowing I had a baby, you know, on the way, and I actually fell in love with my, she's now my ex-wife, but I fell in love with her at the same time. Like I, I found love also, and I gotta put that out to, to to the world that it's an important motivating factor, you know, whether it's the love of your child, the love of your brother, the love of your country, you know what I mean, you know, the 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 at least the love of God if you can't find nothing, all right, and that motivating power can't propel you and that motivating power in me to 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 please my moms drove me for years i mean and i never hung all my gold records and my platinum albums and any award i had was at my mother's house wow. i bought her a big home and put these things up on the wall and she had a chance to see her dream come true through her son you know what i mean she left us, you know what I mean? And that was a big change in my life. You'll notice a big change in my life around that time if you if you ever read my book. But um, 
That's a governing factor. And I think a lo- love is what builds a leader. You know what I mean? Because you I gen- love the people. Yeah, who- I, I genuinely love all my Wu Tang brothers. And I, I, I think we can tell that. Yeah, it's that genuine. We can- it's like I'm, we're not going to tongue kiss. You know what I'm saying? No, it's deeper <laughs> than that. Yeah, exactly. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I saw something you said where... um Recently, you were trying to make some music and you couldn't get all the brothers to do it. And the interviewer said, well, why don't you just do it with the brothers who are there? And you said, no, we are a group. We are one mind. It's not like, well, meth and ghost are the big ones. No, everybody matters equally. And when you have that kind of love for the entire group, I could see they're going to reciprocate. Yeah, that's a blessing. And And one thing about love, whether it's reciprocated or not, it's unconditional. So you just, you like, don't worry about being loved. You know what I mean? Accept it when it comes, but just just emit it. 
Like the sun don't the sun just shines, baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um the last time we talked, we got real deep about um dirty and uh, old dirty bastard and um you know, you 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 have a lot of thoughts on on his end and, you know, there's really nothing different that you could have done, is there? I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that, to be honest with you. And I'll, I'll put that challenge to any man out there in the world that ever, that every life, like, look, there's definitely an exit door. We know that, right? <laughs> now you'll see some dude 2,000 years old running around here talking to you. But at the same time, that exit time i don't think the time of exit is mandatory you know what i mean i think the energy that's contained within the body will eventually expire just like anything like a light bulb will burn out but the light bulb lasts longer when the when you kind of just leave it on right if you flicker it like play with it it might burn out in right. quicker time you might just blow a fuse or right. something you see what i mean and you can blow a fuse and i i think that in the case of Asan, uh, he blew a fuse, but we could have avoided it. I do think we could something we could have done because I think it was part of our negligence. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember you talking about, and maybe you could talk about it a little bit, about you know him making you watch him do the crack yeah. with his son. Yeah. What was it, like a day or two before he passed? It was, he passed the next, he passed within... 12 hours of that. I mean, talk about that and what happened there. Well, I want to get too deep into that, right? Because it's, it's so it's emotionally touching. And, um, you know, but I just want to point it out because it ain't just him. You know, you know, we just lost. I mean, that's for my loss. And I know yeah. it's, I'm here talking, but it's this thing about somebody like Prince. Yeah. Nobody in your family, you know, everybody who depends on you for your, their economics, for their even validation, when you have a celebrity in your family, you become the validation of that family. For some of us, it's the validation of our community, our neighborhood, yeah. our race. <laughs> yeah, your, your city. Yeah, you know what I mean? Hip-hop, everything. Yeah, so 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 that means that if we're validation for you and we're that source, then you got to give us that love and energy, too. You got to protect us. Uh, it's it's sort of like, why do the people worship the false image of God? You know what I mean? That takes that, you know. That stops God from thinking about you. You ain't thinking about me. I ain't thinking mm, about you, mm. right? But in a case like this, when when your family and your people are seeing you going through a struggle, you know they should, you know, have enough strength, love, and courage to to warn you, to give you that warning. You know what I mean? To say, "Yo, kid, no, don't do that. Stop that." Because, you know, we have this theory around in my hood. You go, he a grown man. He can do what he want. No, you can't do what he want. That's one of the biggest issues of uh, American freedom is that it comes with a it comes with a big default clause, which is, yeah, you're free to jump off the roof. But guess what? There's a thing called justice where you may die, the cause and the effect. And I think that um, with, 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 with a lot of us, we, we let the people we know and love and people that's in powerful positions, we let them do what they do uh, without checking them and, and pulling their coattail and, and stopping them. And if, we, if you, so if Dirty would have been stopped, and any, anybody who went through that path, right, 
if 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 the other dude didn't take the extra needle, he didn't, if, if 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 Hoffman didn't go into that hotel room that night with the extra, you know, the extra drugs or whatever, you know, the drug dealer himself, like Richard Pryor once said, the drug dealer stopped. They want to sell me no more. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like, no, that's and a the good drug dealer's like, damn. That's a, that's a good drug dealer though. He's like, you know what, man? <laughs> Richard, about, let me get a key. But yeah, for yeah, the weekend. Yeah, but like you see the dude in uh in the Temptations when David Ruffin, not only did they sell him more, they took his car. They they didn't care. That non-compassion is, is and that neglect is to me takes us out early and I think Dirk would have had more time with us if not only myself or the other cousins in my family the, the, his wife uh, the, the, the Wu brothers we all know that like Dex said it best uh, Inspector Dex said it best in the song we made called I Go Through a Time called Time Changes he said uh, should've could've should've helped you but I was selfish Lord you know what I'm saying Saying, saying that, you know, worrying about my own self and all the things I'm going through, I didn't take the time to hear your cry. And I think we should take the time to hear each other's cry, especially when it's somebody who we love and somebody who is important to our community. One of the things that I love about you is despite all the knowledge and wisdom, you maintain the humility to want to keep learning and keep putting yourself in the student role to get more. I mean, all the years of crushing it in the music business, and then you say, now let me learn the guitar. Right? Like, and, you know, like, why would you go back when you're like the master of the studio? And, you know, you're working on your second film. To go into film, scoring, and then directing, you had to humble yourself to be a student. So just talk about how you get into that mode or stay in that mode of, of I know all this, I've succeeded at all this, but I'm still willing to humble myself and be a student again. One of the most important goals of human life, whether it's as a collective or as an individual, is evolution, to evolve. Growth. Exactly. And so I'm evolving, and I'm, and I'm conscious of it, and so, therefore, I know that um, in order for me to exist in the habitat, let's just say, I have to adapt, f- learn adaptation. I have to learn assimilation. You know what I mean? I have to learn what is part of that uh, society, culture, job function that I'm entering. You know, I got to learn to be a part of it. Or don't go there. You know what I mean? I'm a vegetarian. Okay. Are you vegetarian or vegan? Well, vegan, which is even more. Yeah, even, even more, further, even more. But in order for me to be that, right? Let's say I go a place where all they serve is meat. What am I gonna? What, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna eat the meat or learn learn something that's gonna keep sustain me without having to eat that meat? You know what I mean? How long have you been vegan? Uh, it was a growth from. Uh, it took a growth from. I think I started, my last piece of fish was 1997. <laughs> and when was your last piece of meat? My last piece of red meat was 1995. Yeah, on Cuba, after Cuban links, after liquid sports, after those turkey burgers. We had, I had a party, we party, I probably ate a thousand turkey burgers making liquid swords, man. Me and Jill's are turkey burgers and chess. And Jerry, I, I want to talk about, I want to talk about chess. But you got to, but Toya, we have to, uh, um, they say a good, Papa Wu used to say this. He said, a good listener is a great learner, right? 
So you got to listen to learn. And, uh, and there's a martial art quote that says, the best master always remains a student. Mm. There's always something to learn. And I took that quote from martial art and I applied that to my life. So, so let's talk about moving into Hollywood. You, you got this friendship with Quentin Tarantino. What did he tell you that has helped you as a director? What were his core lessons to you? His, his, his style of, 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 you know, he had various ways that I've learned from him. One of the biggest ways was, you know, watching movies to consume a lot of film. You know what I mean? If you're going to be in the film business, you better know film. If you're going to be in the music business, you better know music. If you're going to be in the steel mill, you better know steel. You better know your craft. Uh, he has a great collection of, of books. You know, I had access to, you know, to his home and his library at previous times. But, uh, you know, his, 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 he exposed me to things I wouldn't have been exposed to. And, and one thing he did help me out a lot with in Hollywood is that if I got to a point where I didn't know which way to turn, you know, I simply ask him, hey, kid, what do you think? I, what do, you think I, do I do that? And if, I mean, whether it was something social, something creative, you know what I mean? Or something that could have been a wild Hollywood night. How, you know, how, how far do I take things and still be able to wake up in the morning and be part of a working society? Because I'm not here to be a mascot for it. You know what I mean? I was, I was there to learn and to be something. But one thing he definitely said to me that was vitally important, and this is a, I don't know if I shared this before, but one of, a real good dude of mine's, good you know, student of mine's and brother of mine's had got killed, shot down. And uh, it was real touching because I was really in the middle of helping him. I just kind of got him back on his feet, got him an apartment, and got him in the studio. I really was trying to lead him down the right direction and then you know he i don't know you know he kind of you know drugs always <laughs> drugs is 80 percent of deaths somewhere a drug is involved right yeah. but anyway i guess you know he couldn't leave leave it leave it alone and he he went to go get what he went to get and it would turn out to be a night that he they took him out right and i was so moved by it in an angry way that when they came and told me, I was like, I was ready to arm up and be part of some shit that, some kid shit at the end of the day. This is a couple years ago. Yeah, this is, this is um not a couple of years ago, but this is definitely, you know, I'm already me. It's way, this is way, it's past 2000. I want to identify this, this, this incident. You know what I mean? But, uh, bottom line is, um, me, me and Quentin had something we had to do uh, that morning, I get the call like 4 a.m. So I'm like, man, I don't really want to go. I want. I'm kind of in this this retaliation mode. But uh, I said I ain't gonna. You know, I said I'll be there. I'm a type of dude. If I say I'll be there, I'll be there. So I so I went to see Quentin first, and my plan was to just go there. So y'all, I'm not gonna really roll today. I just want to come personally and tell you, and I'm a. I got something I got to handle. And uh, he said, what do you mean you got something? I said, I, said, I got something I got to handle. What do you mean you got something you got to handle, Bobby? We, we planned this like six weeks ago. This is, you know, come on, have a drink. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so we have a drink and we talk about it. And I kind of gave him a, 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 a safe way of describing my situation. And he pointed this out. He said, look, man, you are in a position 
to pull people up from your community. I mean, that means you get to reach down and pull people up. Not a lot of people is in that position. But as soon as somebody pulls you down, there's nobody up. Mm. And so you got to know when to let go of something because you're in that position of pulling up. And I'm listening like this dude just, when he said it to me, it actually stuck like glue. And, that, and I kind of keep that in my heart a lot because uh, he's, absolute, he's absolutely right. That goes for any one of us who 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 make it out of a hole you're able to look around and see what's up there and you could be like okay i'm pull somebody up. I, I gotta let you go because only i only i could pull up from the hole you're too heavy send up the little one <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> and uh that lesson uh was a you know really stuck with me and it's, and it's helped me for multiple years you know in certain situations that's an amazing story you know movie directing is really really difficult job and i think part of the challenge is you're really using both sides of your brain that you got to talk to the actors and their artistic poetic journey and their craft but then you also got to talk to the technical camera lighting guys in the in the technical scientific way you also got to deal with the, the producers in the studio and the financial stuff so you're dealing with just all these different parts of the mind at the same time and I think you maybe you were prepared for that, having been a producer of a big group. Yeah. But, I mean, talk about just the challenge of being a director and using all parts of the cranium at the same time. No, it, it is a super challenge. And, it, and, on a, and on the higher the level, the higher the challenge. You know, if you're doing it for independent, you know, I know the independent filmmakers out there, even if they're doing, doing it with their iPhones, they understand that thrive and challenge but if you're doing it with multiple million dollars at risk it's a bigger challenge and uh um i do think working with the woo and and knowing my brothers and all the times we spent together in the studio and some of the diplomacy that we have to strike and reach in order to complete complete projects did give me some preparation but also i was blessed with a great journey today meaning i was blessed with a journey through the music industry you know, which some people call, you know, a shady business, right? Uh, Q-Tip said, industry rule, uh, 4,080 4, record company. People record, are shady. shady. Yeah, so, so you think about an industry like that, um, and you make it through that industry uh, successfully. And, you you know, I was fortunate to have a good executive like Steve Rifkin, who was able to allow my creativity to move unhindered. Luckily to have success, blessed to have success. But then when I joined uh the hollywood world i entered through jim jarmusch who Great uh director. who who hired me to score his film ghost dog and i didn't know how to score films he you, you read this the, the, the interviews of jim jarmusch he's like rizzo would bring me music at 2 a.m in a black van him and dirty with a couple of 40 ounces just give him the dat or something which was how i did it <laughs> right i didn't know about sitting in front of the monitor and working it wasn't until we did kill bill that quentin you know uh, it was mandatory that I stayed in the editing room and I worked. So the editing room was, was my office, you know what I mean? And I spent 45 days in there just doing what I was supposed to do. And what you're supposed to do is is watch the scene yeah. and and vibe off of it and create the sound rather than yeah, sit in the recording studio and just think of something. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's a few more levels than that too because there's, a, there's all kind of, like there's a, first thing they're going to do is give you a spotting session. 
What is that? Right. So a spotting session is all the points in the movie where the director feels that there should be music. Okay. And that's the first spotting session. Then there's a second spotting session. And that may end up, you may have 100 different cues. And then you got to know the cue numbers. You got to know your scene numbers. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, you, it's really three people that, that should be on your team. And then after that, it's music editing. You know what I mean? Then it's edited because if one frame of the film is changed because, let's say, the movie was two hours and three minutes, and now we don't, we're going to lose three minutes. That changes the whole synchronization. So that changes how the score and your cue points changes. Anyway, going through that process, right, and then getting blessed with uh, with Harvey Harvey Weinstein recognizing that I had a a natural acting talent, and he gave me a call and asked me to to join his film uh, Derailed, and the director Michael Hofstrom, uh, who's not an American director, a Swedish director, a very good director, he's like, okay, this kid has something. You know, you do have something because I saw you in Ghost Dog. Um, I think that was the first time I saw you in a film, mm. and you just walk down the street right toward Forrest Whitaker's character. And Ghost Dog's an incredible movie. You didn't have any lines. There's one line, right? Right. You just yeah. said, right. But but there was a presence. Mm. Well, thank you. That just just emanated, and you know, I just wonder how you learn to create that to emit that well i don't don't know if you learn that you know that's something i don't know if if, i think you can learn it but i won't i can't i can't identify where i've learned that at you know what i mean i don't know if you're born under the sign or if you so what do you do to get ready for the moment uh when you're about to act well well after getting like i said after having what you call a natural thing that they saw in me you know just like me with music i didn't know what a c chord was but I went back and learned the theory of music. So after I did Derailed, and then I think it was Coffee and Cigarettes, which once again, we were just improvising, improvising, and that circulated, that movie actually circulated through Hollywood as, yo, this kid right here, this guy right here. And that led to them, led them casting me for American Gangster. And so, but when I got to American Gangster, uh, before I got to there, I started taking coaching lessons. Uh, I got a couple. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, 
I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The books on acting to understand the, the beat and the tempo. And it takes time to get that muscle right. You know what I mean? But what I'm driving at is after composing, after acting. Now, I've been in the post-production and I've been in front of the camera. And after being one of the greatest directors of our generation and learning how he viewed things, how he's dissecting things, six years later, I was ready to step to the plate with the man with the iron fist. You know, I'm curious. When you started learning music theory, did you find that you had already figured a lot of that stuff out on your own, or did it change you as a musician and a producer? Uh, it changed me in the sense of the logic. It, I be, probably became more logical, but I'm probably better not being logical. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You think of a song like uh, Bring the Ruckus. It's, it has a great structure, but there's no logical chord progression right. in what's happening. If you write it out, <laughs> you know, even, even as I composed, one of my co-composers was like, Bobby, you're changing keys and you change keys twice in the middle of the freight in the middle of the uh, progression. I'm like, yeah, I said yeah, but forget the logic of it, the emotion of it. <laughs> right, right, and right, right. and that's what I I did learn that without knowing theory that the emotion is the most important thing that music can invoke. That's why Method Man had the verse Wu Tang be Wu Tang Clan be attacking your emotions, moving on the left, South Pole, Mister Meth. Like so, the the, the thing about us is is to attack the emotion whether it's anger whether it's pain whether it's hunger whether it's sadness whether it's excitement we we strive to at attack your emotion what you talk about the record business being shady one of the most incredible things y'all did is the way you freaked the business um you you came in as a group and you you were very intelligent in saying we want the ability to go sign to whatever label we want and you created this sort of octopus with with long tentacles thing where, you know, Wu-Tang is here, but then you're also getting the Def Jam promotion and you're also getting the loud records promotion. You're also getting the Sony over here. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it was like you're spreading the flag further and further. How did you guys, how did you get the industry to even give you a deal where, okay, we'll let y'all leave the label for nothing and go <laughs> somewhere else? Well, nowadays that won't happen because they have what is called a 360-degree deal. Right, That's right, like, right. I call it the counter Wu-Tang deal. It's like it's the counter move to the Wu-Tang deal. <laughs> It'll never happen again. No, but actually, if you think about the industry over a whole, or as a whole and what it did for the industry, it was actually a smart move by the industry, too. Of course, it was unique. You know, Steve Rifkin at the time, and me and him talk about it and we laugh about it now as, as buddies, you know, and going through our midlife. And it's like he didn't have a lot of money. Even though, you know, a lot of us may think that the executive has a lot of money because he's an executive. But he don't have a lot of money. He has to go get the money from somewhere else. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you don't know that. All you know is that, hey, this guy got the money. Right? But um, he told me he didn't have the the kind of money that I needed to, to run my organization. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, I'll take the power. I'll take the outlet. You know what I mean? It's kind of like how, how Tony Montana talked to Sosa. You know, he was like, yo, he made the deal with Sosa, even though when he got back, he they didn't, he couldn't, you know, they didn't have the money for the deal. But he knew that with hard work and with the proper outlet, he'll make money. 
So when I told Steve Rifkin, I was like, uh, you know, just give us the ability to, to hustle elsewhere at the end of the day. Did he say yes to that right away or did he say no at first? No, Steve, to my memory, said yes. Steve, if you ever talk to Steve about me, I think Steve would say that his secret was always saying yes to RZA. In a sense that he said that this guy, he, he saw, I want to say this out loud, he saw a young man that was focused. He saw a young man that kept his, would write down everything on the pad before we had phones, right? I'll write it down. I'll list it out. I would think about it. You know what I mean? I would take that list, go back, and come back with the list, with the items completed. You know what I mean? He, he seen a young man that would be up till 4 in the morning, and still make the 7, 8 a.m. meet or be late for the meeting, but make the meeting, <laughs> you know what I mean? And be there, focus, uh, no sleep, but but with the idea, with the movement, with the plan. He saw that and he and he 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 invested in that, you know what I mean? He didn't put he wasn't allowed, he didn't at the time have the money to put in my hand. A lot of people don't know that first Wu Tang album, the budget was sixty thousand dollars. What the first Wu Tang <laughs> album. How do you make the, a exactly? You make that by nobody gets money on that, right? It's a, it's nobody gets money on that. It's not until the solo deals come in that money starts coming into the company and coming into us. You know what I mean? But the beauty of it is that after we had a success and after we proved this theory that I had in my heart, this gut feeling that I knew that this was what it was, after we proved it to be true, the second Wu Tang album was. You can't even say 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, 50 times, 60 times. <laughs> I could keep going of the profit. of The first album comes out, the second album comes out, right? And ships 2 million units in a week in a, at, at, at $25 wholesale. That's $50 million made in a week off an album. All right? That's the investment of what $60,000 did. And not counting the, the 4 million units that Def Jam had already done and the million that Geffen had did and the million that Raekwon had did and the million two that, that Ghost had did. And, Plus and the, what happened and, with your touring. Yeah, not, right? ca- not, not, you were able to- not, not counting all that, right? And so, so the beauty of it was you had an executive who actually trusted in the artistic vision of an artist. He never came to the studio was like, do this or change this or change that. Well, how could you? You guys were doing something sonically so different than everyone else. I mean, if he signed you, he just got to let you do what you do because... But that doesn't happen a lot in our business. True. That, True. That's actually one of the biggest hindrances of the music industry is the clone effect. So let's talk a little bit about chess because you're an extraordinary chess player, so I hear. I won't say extraordinary, but I, I got some victories. <laughs> talk about uh, your style on a chessboard, what are you what are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to win, right? <laughs> right, but I mean, but, how uh, do you but, get there? Well, it varies, you know. Uh, the, I think chess is a is a reflection of your emotional state. And I mean, if I'm in a real comfortable, confident state, based on whatever I felt that day or that month, uh, that's my style of playing. If I'm very cautious and reserved, and I'm into a meditative state. That's the style I play. Uh, I've learned, you know, like most of the times I lose in the game of chess is, is on the clock. And I've realized in my life that time has always been my biggest enemy. 
You know what I mean? You know, just time. It could be every man's enemy, but I definitely know that time has been an enemy of mine in the sense that, uh, you know, it's never enough. <laughs> um, I mean, do you prefer, and maybe this will be situational, but do you prefer to attack with the uh, with the knight or the bishop? Well, or- well, it all depends. Like, look, okay, let's say she was, okay, let's say she was, a couple of chess masters who I love. Bobby Fischer, right? No doubt. Love Bobby Fischer, okay? Uh, he had a strong attacking game, right? He, he, he'll he do the bishop opening and they'll change it. They, they got 50 names for it but by the, based on the variation. But Bobby Fischer, his, his attacking prowess was incredible. But when you go back and study some of those games, you see that there was flaws in them. So how was he able to win with a flaw in his movement? Because his determination was stronger. His will to win was stronger than the better opponent in some case. You know what I mean? And and so, therefore, the energy of the person can sway the energy of the pieces. Mm. Um, because a chess the energy is a, of the person can sway the energy of the yeah, pieces. That's because like, the person who's playing you is a, is a one chess thing. Say, a person who don't see it will never see it, even though somebody on the sideline sees it. But that person can't see it because there's something else happening. Something else is happening between the two. But I said one of the other things. Then take a guy like uh, Tao, right, who is also known for attacking. And he used to, you know, used to be down Bobby, right? Um, his attacking style is very aggressive. And and that, that style I was I was taught or coached on, I, I, I took the time – to, uh, there's a chess player, international master named Emery Tate. Yeah. He, uh, he became a friend of mine's. Uh, he was six times military champion. Uh, and when you look at when you look up Josh Wakens, you know Josh Wakens. Josh Wakens, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look up his uh, his uh, his his ten games, they they always give you when you get chess master back when chess master was popular. He has a game where he loses, and that's to Emery Tate. <laughs> And so Josh and Emery both gave me great advice in chess. Josh saw my style and gave me a, a opening he thought would fit me, you know. But Emery saw that style that Josh advised me on, and and gave me a, a told me I should actually be more like Tao because because that Wu Tang Clan nothing to fuck with style of mine's. He think you know he felt that that was the best way for me to move because when RZA attacks. It's hard to fucking defend. That's what's up. Um, do you meditate? Yeah, I meditate, but I, I see meditation as this right now is meditating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Bodhidharma, you know, one of the founders of Shaolin who helped, ex- you know, expand Shaolin and one of the fathers of martial art. Uh, he said you have still meditation when you sit and you think, but you have moving meditation, which mm-hmm. is Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. You know, he actually said... When you think of Zen or Chan Buddhism, Zen means that you can become enlightened immediately. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when Buddha returned home after leaving his wife and kid for <laughs> mad years, right? He left his wife on when she gave birth, according to his history. Exactly. <laughs> but, but he comes home and they become enlightened instantaneously. Where some people, according to Buddhist doctrine, got to be born a thousand years to get this so when you ask about meditation most people think that it's about sitting still and right. and and you know chanting and all that uh the contemplation is meditation 
That's why Krishna gave us a great lesson. He said, uh, a man can meditate for a month. It will not be as valuable as that man who contemplated for an hour. It's amazing, you know, in this conversation, you've talked about Krishna, Buddha, um, Islam, Christianity. You know, your study of spirituality is is broad, you know, and I love that. Um, Talk about how spirituality has helped you succeed in your businesses. I think a spiritual foundation, which you, which uh, spirituality means, ality meaning like something in reality, something that's in action or recognizable. So to recognize that energy, uh, which could also be called mindfulness, mm-hmm. is vital. Uh, that's one of the missing ingredients, I think, of our political system. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because even when you think of all the old kings, they have spiritual advisors. On the chessboard, you have the bishop there. Mm-hmm. That represents the spiritual advisor. And you got, of course, you got the castle. The horse was the cannon or the warriors. You got your woman. You got your soldiers. Where's the spiritual advisor at? That's why I think we're missing our political system. They need to come higher to realize their spiritual advisor. <laughs> if not me, somebody. I'm just somebody. Sure. But as far as me, it's vitally important because that's the 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 thing that that actually allows us to understand each other. What I mean by understand each other is like you got to understand how the Hindu brothers feel when they are praying and what they're thinking about. You got to understand how the Christian brother feels when he's praying and what he's thinking about. He's telling, he's talking to his children about. You got to understand how the Muslim brother feel. You got to understand how the Buddhist brothers feel. And when you get to the core of it, they all saying the same thing mm-hmm. at the core. So somebody come to me and say, and we get into an argument because he's like, East me, son, she. And the other guy's like, under toi. And the other guy's like, uno, dos, stress. And I'm like, one, two, three. And we arguing. Arguing about who's right, who's wrong, and we all saying the same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? The men who live before us in this world have traveled great distances in their time on earth, in their travels around the world, and they've documented it for us, y'all. There's no reason for me to touch a hot stove. It's been touched. What, all right, last bit, what books do you want the folks to read? If I was to advise books, uh, I would have, I would advise the Holy Quran, the Holy Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, and for Buddhism, I'm going to say the Diamond Sutra. There's a lot of sutras, but I think the Diamond Sutra for today's man is good. I'm so inspired after listening to Riza for an hour. Love what he said about leadership and being willing to put your people first. Love what he said about chess and that Tarantino story is crazy. I can see him showing up to Quentin's mansion, heart racing, saying, Hey, man, I know we were supposed to meet about that thing, but uh, we got to do it later because I got to go kill somebody. All right. It's like a scene out of a Tarantino film. If you want to talk to me more about this episode or whatever, I'm on Twitter at Torre. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and executive produced by Morgan Spurlock in association with Cadence 13 Studios. We'll be back next week with more knowledge from successful folks because the man ain't shut us down yet. Check us out next Wednesday when my guest is the legendary poet Nikki Giovanni. You gotta hear her go ham on Trump. 
I don't understand, you know, fools like Trump and all of those people on his cabinet, those greedy racists on his cabinet who don't do anything but try to figure out how to make more money. See you next week.